When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Charles Chuck Bryant and Jerry Jerome Rowland. So it's Stuff You Should Know. Yeah, Jerry wore her swan bill corset today. Yeah, she looks like a freak <laughs> of nature. Uh, I'm nervous about this one. Going to go ahead and say that. Don't be. Really? Yeah. I'm nervous. <laughs> well, here I am to relax you, Chuck. <laughs> Let me pat your beard, give you a little nap. That didn't help. <laughs> is it making things worse? Yeah, this one, I don't know. I mean, the history and stuff is interesting, which I assume we'll talk to first since we don't plan this stuff out. Sure. But... um. You know, we're all with the live and let live thing, and I certainly have no problem with a lady or a dude that wants to wear a corset. Yeah. Or anybody. Okay. What's wrong? But when I started reading about the the uh, the Guinness Book Lady, uh-huh. and I went to her website and watched the YouTube, it just kind of freaked me out a little bit. Kathy Young. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about her later, but it kind of crossed the line to me to like weird obsessions uh, yeah. with physical appearance. Sure. But then I think about, like, I'm not going to condemn anyone for getting all kinds of weird plastic surgery either, if, if that's your thing. I think that... I just want people to be happy, you know? Right. But it, I think that um, extreme lacing is one thing it's called also. Um, well, extreme lacing, I think, is the general preferred term, right? Um, Tight lacing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect example of you're harming nobody. This is strictly your body. It's yours to do what you want with it. Have at it. Yeah, but what if it's in the, like, oh, because men say that's the only way a woman will be attractive. And, like, what's different? Is this well, different than foot binding? That, to me, is sad. And, and it's a, um, that's part of a larger issue. You know what I mean? Like, if you're doing it because, you know, you want to catch a man's attention or something like that. Who knows? We're not pop psychologists. I know. I just all this makes me nervous. I I did actually. I had a conversation with um Holly from Missed in History stuff. You missed in history class. She's probably worn a corset in her time. Yes, she has, and she actually defends corsets too. Because I thought, well, it's like the the Western equivalent of foot binding. She said, "No, no, no, my friend. Okay, uh, it, it lacks in reality, in actuality, a lot of the um, a lot of the sexism." Okay. Associated with foot binding. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. And that corsets in, in reality, in truth, in the 19th century and before were, um, very much chosen to be worn by women. Okay. 
for their own tastes. Sometimes at the, uh, out of spite, or not out of spite, but, um, contrary to what the, what the men in their life might want or desire. Okay. Okay, so it's actually, it's not necessarily a feminist right. article of clothing, although Madonna certainly made a case for that. Sure. So did Vivian Westwood. Um, but it, it, it's, it's not as bad as you're thinking, I think. I do feel better now. Do you? Yeah. Good. I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to make people feel bad. I want people to feel good, always. Sure. I want everyone to feel good. That's my problem. Yeah, and we should say, if you're wearing a corset right now and it feels bad, everything I've seen in my research says you need to loosen that thing because it's not yeah. supposed to hurt. Well, yeah, and um, even uh, Kathy Young, who, um, again, we will talk about, but she's a Guinness record holder because she formed her waist into the size of a jar of mayonnaise, um, literally. <laughs> oh, yeah, gallon-sized mayonnaise. It said, the thing I read said an average jar, but I don't think that's correct unless you... <laughs> the photos on her site, though, look photoshopped. Yeah, they don't do. they? But it's... she said that all the advice she gave was, uh, you go slow. Don't like, you know, if you want to train your waist to be smaller, right. which, you, which you can do, um, don't, you know, dive in and just start, you know, doing the extreme lacing right away. No, there's Work some, into it. There's something called um, waist training. Yeah. And that's kind of a... Uh, it's not necessarily the ultimate goal of corseting, which can be a verb, but it is um, a kind of a parallel, a subculture of the corseting culture. And waist training is simply where you are basically, through the use of corsets and pretty tight corsets over a period of time, usually about a decade, you are reshaping your body mechanically. Yeah. Right? You're not actually losing weight, although a tight-fitting corset acts something like a gastric bypass surgery without the surgery okay? because you just can't put as much stuff into your stomach as normal. Sure. Um, but the waist training itself is just, it's a reshaping. It's not actually making you lose weight. Right. So what it's doing is taking uh, inches out of the middle and sliding them down to the hips. Mm-hmm. And all of this, the whole point for corsets, from the beginning of corsets to um, the world record holding corset waists is to, um, amplify f- existing female, um, body features. Yes. That's the point. That's right. The word, uh, comes from an old French word, uh, C-O-R-S, meaning body. And, um, here's the history. Ta-da! <laughs> Which oddly came three quarters of the way through this article. <laughs> Uh, if you go back in time, uh, in the Wayback Machine, to the days of ancient Crete. There were women who, well, I think even before Crete, there were women who tied ropes around their waist to make their waistline look slimmer, right. to accentuate maybe the bust and the rear end. Right. Uh, so they were doing that a long time ago, and then in ancient Crete, um, People think that they are, historians think they're the first women that actually wore something that you could call a corset. It was a garment that shaped the body more than 3,000 years ago. Right. It, um, it covered the, I think the waist and the hips. Yeah. And, um, Cretan women went around, um, bare breasted. So they would have their breasts like saying, Hey, everybody, how's it going? And then below that <laughs> was the corset. Okay. And I would imagine, um, that it probably enhanced the breasts as well. Uh, yeah, sure. If you're cinching everything up like that, it yeah. probably, probably acted sort of like a pre-brazier. 
Right. Support and lift. Yes. <laughs> See, I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, hey, the- man. We did one on female puberty. <laughs> that was easier than we this. We can do to this. Me. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, that was science. This is. I, don't know. I see. I see. You make a valid point, Chuck. Uh, so if you go forward a bit to the Middle Ages, they, um, for the first time, these undergarments came out uh, in something called the the heavy stay, and it was very much an outerwear, but it kind of accomplished the same goal. But it was, you know, very decorative and, and pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I don't think that lasted too long. They went back under the garment in the 18th century. Right. And then um, up until the 18th century, most things that were part of the corset family tree or predecessors of corsets were conical. Um, no, they were tubular, totally tubular. <laughs> and then once we hit, I think, about the 18th century, what we start to see today as a corset began to emerge where it, that's conical. It's cone-shaped. Yeah. Right? Um, and from, from I guess, yeah, the 18th century on, corsets were like a pretty, pretty much a mainstay of fashion, if yeah. not the basic ingredient of women's fashion from about the end of the 1700s until World War One, basically. Yeah, it wasn't like some weird thing. Like today, um, I mean, they're, they're still in fashion today and if... You know, in certain, um, like cosplay and costumes and the fetish world right. and burlesque and stuff like that. Yeah. Or just, you know, just plain sexy time. Sure. <laughs> Regular old sexy time. Right. But, um, it, the stuff I read said it was, it was no, like, more of a strange thing than like a woman to wear a bra today. Right, exactly. It's just a regular fashion accessory. Yeah. And as we'll see, it was like kind of essential depending on the clothes you were wearing, depending on the period. Yeah, that's true. Um, there was a, a real movement. And when I was saying like some men were saying like, you shouldn't be wearing corsets and women said, TS for you, pal. I'm still wearing a corset. Yeah. There was actually a big movement that was, um, that came out of, uh, I guess the 19th century, the late 19th century that was spearheaded by two brothers, Ira and Lucian Warner. Um, and they came up with an alternative to, they actually were anti-corset crusaders. They were both doctors. And they, um, basically said, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah. But let's try to create a, uh, corset that's less problematic for women. And the idea that corsets were problematic for women can actually be traced back to a 1793 medical article by a guy named Dr. Samuel Thomas von Sommering. And, um, Von Somering basically made up a lot of the myths about corsets that we know today, that they can cause scoliosis, sure. that they can mess up your liver, that they can um, lead to permanent deformation of your body and your internal organs. Uh, it all kind of came from this. And a 100 years after Von Somering wrote his article, um, the Warner Brothers got in <laughs> and said, we're going to come up with a health, a health corset. Yeah, but they definitely can change. Um, there's something called uh, visceroptosis or Glenard's disease, mm-hmm. which if you do the tight lacing long term, your your organs can actually sink and shift away from where they should be. Right. So, I mean, that's that's something that can happen. That's, that raises a really good point, man. We should delineate here. Wearing a corset normally, yeah, even when you're doing waist training, should not result in that. There is a definite line where if you are getting into extreme corseting, uh-huh. then yes, all sorts of medical problems can happen. Um, 
but just about every corseting site out there on the internet will warn you right. about going past that line. And in fact, there is a really, there's a good, um, site by, uh, Orchard Corsets. They sell corsets. They have a really extensive site. Uh-huh. They know their stuff about corsets. And they actually say, uh, one of the ways that the body can be deformed is if you're an adolescent girl wearing a corset. Right. Um, your ribs can, develop improperly yeah because you're wearing corsets. they say girls under 18 shouldn't wear corsets yeah uh so then along came this guy um and we should mention too that when these two the two uh warner brothers were were they in the united states yeah they were out of bridgeport connecticut okay i was gonna say warner but maybe a generation or two before (laughs) probably so um they also changed uh or around the same time at least um, I think we have not mentioned yet that uh, one of the, you know, the, the corset has to, and we'll get into all the parts of the corset, but one of the things that keeps it rigid and stiff in the old days was a baleen whale. Um, and it was actually, it was a teeth, right? Even they called it whalebone. Yeah. And they would use this to, you know, to make the corset stiff and in place, keep everything where it should be. But around that time in the late 1800s, as they were overhunted, became really expensive. So... He said, all right, <laughs> forget the whale teeth. Let's put in steel in 1894. Yeah. Which I'm sure that was quite comfortable. Right. Well, yeah. But, and I mean, women were wearing these like every day. Yeah. But I mean, one of the, as we'll see when we talk about manufacturing corsets, the, um, one of the points is to make it as comfortable as possible, this un- very uncomfortable contraption. Yeah. But yeah, they started to use steel. And even today, you'll find steel in corsets. Sure. That are meant to, for like waist training or something like that. Uh, and then, like I teased a moment ago, along came this guy named, uh, Charles Dana Gibson. He's a, uh, he was a graphic artist, uh, in the Victorian times. And he became very famous, and a lot of artists that came after him, uh, emulated his style. But he became very famous in the 1890s for, creating uh, what was known as the Gibson girl. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he, he drew all these pictures of this, uh, these ladies who were, I mean, some say it was like the first ideal of, of um, American attractiveness for, right. for women. And it was, they wore these swan bill corsets, which made, I mean, these were even more extreme. They would make you kind of stick the bust out mm-hmm. and stick your, your rear end back and, if you just look up Gibson Girl, I mean, you've seen these drawings before. Right. It's like America's first cheesecake drawings. I don't know what a cheesecake drawing is. It's a, like a Gibson Girl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or a Vargas Girl is another, a little more modern one. Well, you, supposedly his... Uh, You're an American boy. You've seen them before. Cheesecake Girls. Sure. <laughs> uh, apparently his his wife and her sisters were his inspiration. And, um, oh, that's weird. Is it? The sister part's weird, yeah. Well, they said they were all pretty. Okay. And he was celebrating, he said that this was not a woman, but it was a thousand women, is his quote. Gotcha. Um, and supposedly the Gibson cocktail is named after him, but I'm not sure if that's true. Well, that's great. Good for him. <laughs> Got any pickled onions? Yeah. Yeah? Put a martini. Right. <laughs> Call it after me. So that's probably he, how it happened. He was actually um, working from a corset that was invented by a doctor, Inez Gauche Sarot. Terrible. Um, who created this corset, this straight front, also called the Swan Bill corset. And the whole problem with it was, and Charles Dana Gibson is criticized for popularizing this because it's so bad for you. Yeah. 
Like, there's no question that the swan bill corset is really bad for your posture because the thing that it forces your spine into is just totally unnatural. And apparently that trend only lasted for about a decade during the Edwardian period, the first century of the... Just 10 years yeah, of uh, yeah. bad backs. And then pretty much right after that, not right after, but pretty close, corsets suddenly just went away. Because World War One had such a sweeping change on uh, the world, it, it just, it just, it was, it created social upheaval. And one of the things that um, came out of this was women said, you know what? We're done with corsets. I'm a flapper now. Yeah. I need to do the Charleston. Can't do the Charleston in a corset. Um, and the whole fashion was just different looking, you know? It, it was. And the idealized body was different too. So prior to that and throughout basically history, the Venus body type, which is, you know, the, um, the fertile women curves type sure was replaced by the Diana type, which is the more athletic type that's now has been in fashion basically ever since world war one that basically killed the corset, but the modern bra and slip and all of that stuff came out of that, the death of the corset. Cause they were like, we still need something. We still want a corset anymore. Okay. I think one of the reasons all this made me uncomfortable is just all the categorizations over the years. Yeah. Like, this is the ideal woman, and it, she's called a Diana, and this is what they should look like. Yeah, this that's, I mean, gross that's, to me. That to me is like a whole other podcast. Oh, sure. You know? I mean, like, because plenty of women buy into that, and they're, yeah. they don't feel bad about themselves for buying into it. They say, oh, yeah, this is what I find attractive too. Uh, so, Anyway, during this time in the Roaring Twenties, there were the corseteers that were just like, oh, no. Well, how about this kind that you can still wear? And it's not like the other corsets. You can actually dance in them. Right. And, you know. It sunk. It did. And it, it basically stayed that way for the rest of the 20th century. There was a brief resurgence. Christian Dior brought it back in the 40s. Um, and it was kind of akin to that uh, that Swanbill corset. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, and then it, it went out pretty quickly. And then in 1982, Vivian Westwood had a show called Buffalo Girls, her collection for 82, 83, and it brought corsets <laughs> out. Who was she? Vivian Westwood, she's a famous designer, kind of punk okay. d- fashion. Um, and she brought corsets out from underneath the clothing and made it like basically into a shirt. It was outerwear now. Was that when Madonna got on the uh, train? That was about six years later, and that was Jean-Paul Gaultier that designed that very famous corset with the conical bra that would take oh, your uh, eye clean out. Yeah, what was the uh, what was the video? I don't remember. I can sing the song in my head. Sing it. No, you know, the one, uh, Vogue. It was, okay. That was a Vogue video, right? I think so. Okay. Oh, we'll find out if it's not. <laughs> um, but that was Jean-Paul Gaultier and... Uh, from that point on, the corset is basically stuck around, sometimes a little, a little more predominantly, sometimes a little more in the background, but it's basically been a fashion accessory that you could conceivably wear out in public in the West ever since. Yeah, I mean, it sticks around these days, like you see costumes and stuff like that, but, um, and then occasionally, I guess, if you're in a, a swinging nightclub, you might see a lady in a corset. Sure. Or maybe a man. Yeah, we'll talk about that after this. How about that? All right, game off. 
let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Chuck, you teased men wearing corsets. You <laughs> not, teased it. Not literally. <laughs> uh, I'd never tease a man for wearing anything, except those dolphin running shorts. <laughs> <laughs> those are great. So get back in your time machine. I saw The Boy in the Bubble for the first time. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah, Travolta? Yeah, I never saw it. And I, I watched the Rift Tracks version of it. Oh, uh, well, that's the only way to do it. <laughs> it made it a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that come from? Oh, uh, I think he's wearing dolphin shorts in oh. one of the scenes, and I was like, those yeah, are dolphin so. shorts. <laughs> so, um, yeah, what, what, what we're talking about men wearing them. Yeah, so apparently this article makes it seem like it was fairly normal. But from what I saw in the 19th century, and th- there, th- from what I saw in the 19th century was that if you were wearing a corset and you were a man, yeah. you were probably suspected as being gay. Okay. And so here's where this kind of patriarchal view of corsets does definitely hold fast. Okay. Um, if you were, if you were like a straight establishment type male, um, you probably did not cotton to men wearing corsets and didn't want to associate with any guy wearing corsets because you didn't trust him. He was probably gay, but. If you were in favor of your wife wearing a corset, she better be wearing a corset or else she wouldn't be viewed as a proper woman mm-hmm. in normal, polite society. Gotcha. So it's it's not fair to say like that myth about the corset being a, a part of the patriarchy is not true. It is true in some ways, but not. It, it's not like women were forced to wear corsets throughout history. Right. They, they donned it in particular – on purpose. And one of the reasons why women wore corsets was because it also served as a, basically the thing that held up all of their really heavy clothes. 
Yeah, like you couldn't you couldn't just slip into one of those dresses in Victorian times. No, um, it had a certain shape that required a certain uh, form to put it on, and you know that corset would help your body like morph into that form. Basically, you know, yeah. It was and, a low. There was a load bearing structure that you wore <laughs> under your clothes. A load bearing beam. Uh-huh. So I don't think we've really described the the how these things were kind of came. You know how they came together. Yeah, there's some people out there that are like, "What is a corset?" <laughs> well, geez, did we not even say that? Mm, in, in so many words. All right. Well, it's a garment, and it's usually pretty short, uh, and it's like a it's like a belt, like a. a, a not a wide belt, but a, a a tall a tall belt. It's like a vest that doesn't go over your shoulders. Yeah, but some of them could go over your shoulders. Well, that was the health corsets, I think, that did that. All right. Um, <laughs> they lace up in the back. Uh, we mentioned the whalebone, uh, which was actually the teeth of the baleen, uh, as these reeds, and they were put in what were called boning channels, which were just little sheaths, basically, where they would slip these things down in. And um, it's like, you know, if you've ever had to wear a back brace or something, yes, it's very much like that. And like Andy Warhol had to wear one of these after he got shot. By Valerie Solange. Yeah, for the rest of his life. Who went on to write The Scum Manifesto. You ever read that? Yeah, I thought she wrote it before she shot him. No? Did she? We should do one on that whole scene. Yeah, we should. All right, we'll okay. do that. Uh, and then they uh, were made out of this um, cotton fab- fabric called coutil, C-O-U-T-I-L, um, and it's still used today in corsets because it um, doesn't stretch, has very high thread count. Right. And keeps all those boning channels and, and rib, uh, or I guess bones in place. Right. And you you have to understand, like, this whole thing, this whole mechanism that is the corset is basically defying physics at any given point in time. So you have to have some really strong stuff involved in the manufacture of it. Yeah. So what else you got? You got on, on the front part. Where it meets, you have a a busk. Yeah. And um, that's actually needs to be pretty strong as well. Right. So usually that's um, wood or metal, maybe yeah. bone originally. And it was two flat pieces that um, that basically went up and down alongside a seam. Yeah. And most people are, I don't want to say most people, I for a very long time thought that you put the corset on and then laced it up. And that you put it on and then laced up the back, right? You yeah. put it around yourself like that. It's actually not the case. You, um, so when you, you were doing it all wrong. I had it all <laughs> wrong. When you put on the corset, um, you've already got it laced and you're putting the front together. You're putting it around yourself and then fastening the front at yeah. the busks. Yeah, but then you tighten the lace. And it's like, right. you don't lace it tight and try to put it on. Exactly. You just have it kind of pre-laced like your shoes. Yeah. And the lacing kind of confused me too, actually. We'll get into that. Well, first of all, we need to finish the front. Right. There was a, a flattened part on the stomach. Uh, a lot of times it was decorative called a stomacher. Yeah. It was very uh, lovely designs and embroidery and stuff. And that had the added benefit, if you were trying to adjust your shape, of keeping your stomach flat. That's right. Just press it all in. <laughs> so uh, what else? Are there any other components to the corset that we haven't mentioned? I don't think so. Um just the, the 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 lacing. Okay, so we'll talk lacing now. Then you ready? Yeah. So traditionally in the in the Western Europe, the uh, the method of lacing was where you, basically like you would lace a shoe. Okay. 
It's called bidirectional lacing, where you just alternate from one hole to the other diagonally, right? Okay. Um, that's typically what you think of when you see a corset. That's probably what you're seeing is bidirectional lacing. If you look at Italian paintings from the medieval era, you're probably going to see what's called ladder lacing. It's all right angles, right? Right. So you go from one hole down and then over and then maybe up and then down again and then over and then down and then over and it forms a ladder. The name's pretty appropriate for that one. And I wonder, was this just to make it uh, look different? Uh, I would guess that had something to do with it, but I would also imagine that it had to do with, you know, somebody was like, this actually, th- this doesn't loosen during the day very much. Because I also saw with the um, the bidirectional what you would create in the, not at the bottom or at the top, but sort of in the middle of where it laces these bunny ears. Right. And that was for uh, women because a lot of times in the movies you've seen like the, you know, the uh, like Downton Abbey, like the the lady holding the bedpost and then uh-huh. her, her uh, valet, or I guess were the females called valets? Was just valet. Valley girls. <laughs> The lady who helps them dress uh-huh. would be like, you know, cinching this thing down so tight and they'd be like, breathe in, you know, suck in your breath. Right. But these bunny ears allowed women to, that didn't have a personal dresser to uh, tighten it themselves. Yeah. And apparently that was fairly normal um, for women wearing corsets. They usually put them on themselves more often than not. And those, those bunny ears were just two loops of lacing at about the thinnest part, the narrowest part where you had some slack. Yeah. And then when you put your corset on, you wrap it around you, you um, fasten the busk, the, the buttons on the busk, the front, and then you just pull back, tighten it, done. Right. And this is, again, ideally after you have visited your uh, corseteer, because apparently, like buying a bra, guys don't know this stuff. It's apparently tough to get one that like fits just right. What? And so you need to get like professionally fitted and... Um, like the off-the-shelf thing doesn't work for a lot of ladies. Right. And that was the case with corsets for a very long time. You had to go to a corseteer to, to be fitted for one. Um, and it was expensive from what I understand, right? Probably. Um, today, there are, I guess because of mass manufacturing, um, it's a lot easier to make corsets that are fairly close to what a, a large number of people would use. But the fit is still extraordinarily important. And apparently from what I, well, I should say from what Orchard Corset says, um, <laughs> women tend to miss uh, or, or to underestimate the length that they need. So that leads to a lot of discomfort. Their oh, yeah. corset's too short for their body. Oh, gotcha. So, I mean, I, I don't mean to buzz market or anything, but just based on my research, <laughs> Orchard Corsets, if you're getting into corseting, they might be a pretty decent place to start. Wow. You might get a little treat in the mail. I might. Uh, let's take another break and we'll talk a little bit more about, uh, Kathy Young and, uh, some of the myths about corseting. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. 
I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I think we didn't mention after corseting went out of fashion, uh, girdles came along. Like everything has kind of been replaced by something else that does something similar. Sure. You know? Yeah. And like men these days have those, uh, those like, I guess spanks for men almost. Like these tummy, tummy shirts mm-hmm. that dudes can wear. The that, damn merino. That suck everything in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's all fool's gold because <laughs> what lies beneath is still there. Right. I guess if you're trying to impress people who will never see you without your shirt on, <laughs> go nuts. Um, but, uh, Kathy Young, we mentioned a few times, she is the Guinness record holder and she started waist training at the age of 48. Yeah. Seems a little late to get into it. Yeah. I thought so too. But she got into it big time. Mm-hmm. And you were saying earlier, I think at the beginning of the episode, that you this is not something that happens overnight. If you're doing waist training, it can usually take, it seems to me, about a decade before you get the results you're looking for, which is yeah. a waist that the average five-year-old could put two fingers around. <laughs> well, she said that her goal was never to earn an award and that Guinness called her uh, and she holds that record now at 15 inches, uh, 38.1 centimeters. So that's for living on a living person. There's actually a woman who holds the record for the the narrowest waist ever. Narrowest corpse? 13 inches. Who was she? Her name, my friend, was as follows. Ethel Granger. 33 centimeters, 13 inches in 1939 was what her waist was measured at. And she obviously trained her waist. Yeah, over, again, about the course of a decade. So did you go to Kathy Young's website? Mm-hmm. Did you see the YouTubes? No. I think that's where I got a little freaked out because on her website she has like a she has an FAQ section mm-hmm. and people were writing in and a lot of people were just like, you know, I think you look great and, you know, give me some tips here and there. And that was all well and good. But then there was one where the, this husband was like, I'm waist training my wife. 
And just hearing that made it sound like... Also make her eat out of a dog bowl. Yeah, it made it seem like something that he was making her do. Right. Which may not have been the case. It may have been the wording. But it just freaked me out. And he says, right now I've got her up to 18 hours a day, but I'm really looking looking for her to go 24-7. And can you give me some tips on how we can accomplish this? Right. Because she does 24-7 except for when she showers. Kathy Young does. Oh, okay. She's always in a corset. Right. And, you know, she gave tips and everything and... Like I said, it just, the way this guy was talking, it just seemed a little creepy. Yeah, no, that is creepy. He sounds like a huge jerk who needs to be set straight and probably get his butt kicked by a larger dude, right? <laughs> but it also, Chuck, you may also be witnessing, um, a BDSM couple. Sure. Coming up for tips or whatever. No, you're right. That's just their reality. And if the, if they're both equally into it and, and the, into that like dynamic. Yeah, yeah. No. And then neither one there. is psychologically suffering or physically suffering from it, then hey. True. But it could also probably even more likely be just the guy's a jerk. That was my instinct, but you never know. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, if you go to YouTube, there's parts, Kathy Young parts one through six. Yeah. And they are five-minute videos of her in different lingeries standing in front of a white backdrop while her picture was being taken. And her husband, she's silent the whole time and just kind of turning around and stuff. Right. And her husband is just sort of very calmly talking about it and describing her waist and what she did and the techniques used. Right. And he's an orthopedic surgeon, so there's a chilliness to it. Uh-huh. And it's just creepy, man. As you will I'm observe you. on the subject. Like, go watch one of those videos. And it, yeah, that's exactly how it sounds. Huh. And you just hear the photograph going, and that's the only other thing you hear. It's got like a house plant. It was just all just weird. Yeah. But then again, she feels great about herself, and that's what she wanted to do. Right. I'm not saying he forced her, because there were rumors, because he was an orthopedic surgeon, that she... He had removed some of her ribs, which is one of the big myths of, uh, supposed myths, um, of back in the day. Right. Uh, and I believe it was a myth because they said back then, like, surgery was very dangerous. You would have to be one of the, um, one of the least risk averse people on the planet. Yeah. To undergo elective surgery to have ribs removed in the 19th century. (laughs) Yeah. You know? So that's, by all accounts, very much a myth. Yes. Same with Marilyn Manson, I think, too. Oh, sure. I remember hearing that one. <laughs> uh, but she said that, you know, no, my husband didn't remove any of my ribs yeah. and it's all natural. Yeah. And, um, you know, she's into it. She's very proud of it. So I don't yeah, want to uh, yuck her yum. It's the same thing with, with corseting in general. I think, like, just to assume that men made women do that really takes a tremendous amount of agency away from women. You know, like they're just completely uh, vapid shells that are bossed around by their husbands regardless, you know? I know. It's a fine line. Sure. So you want to bust a couple more myths? Sure. It's what we do. We're known as myth busters. (laughs) So one of the things that I saw, it's hilarious in this article, um, it says that there's the myth of the Victorian waif who fainted at the drop of a hat because... Of a lack of oxygen from wearing a corset. Yeah. And at the bottom of this paragraph, the author says, no, 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 it wasn't that. It was malnutrition and not being able to breathe very well. <laughs> right. Because of Because they weren't eating. Yeah. Uh, is that it? Are there any other myths? Yep. That's it. Those are all the myths. <laughs> now, there's plenty of uh, other ones. There's actually a pretty cool article on Collectors Weekly written by Lisa Hicks. 
about um, corset myths. Uh, and again, you should probably, if you're getting into this kind of thing, go check out, um, well, a bunch of sites, but also check out Orchard Corsets. Again, I have <laughs> no financial stake in them whatsoever, but check it out. Uh, and Just since go, I said... Go to Orchard orchardcorsets.com slash josh (laughs) (laughs) Um, since I said orchard corsets it's time for listener mail Uh, I'm going to call this thank god that episode is over hey guys I just finished the episode on pain scales and I find it fascinating when humans try to put an objective score on something very subjective not sure if you came across this info in your research but I thought you'd be interested to know that we use pain scales in veterinary medicine as well it's even more challenging because obviously our dogs and cats can't tell us verbally and certainly can't draw happy or sad faces. Man. And that's the saddest thing of all. Yeah. Um, our assessment is based completely on behavioral cu- behavioral cues and body language. For instance, I'm sure everyone would know a happy, pain-free puppy uh, if you saw one sitting square, looking you in the eye, ears perked up, wagging his tail, because dogs are very stoic, higher pain tolerance than even Chuck. It can, all, uh, can be very hard to tell. When they are feeling pain, um, my both of my dogs got sick recently, so I got to see this in action. Like they didn't act sick for a long time, right? And then I was like, "You guys are sick." That's why they recommend, like, if your dog's vomiting, take him to the vet because yeah. it's really tough to tell if your dog's bad off norm just by looking at their uh-huh. behavior. Totally. Um, or if they like don't eat all of a sudden, because uh-huh. that's you know most dogs, or at least all the dogs I've had eat like you know voraciously. Right. Or if their head comes off. <laughs> that too. Uh, as recently as the 1980s, it was widely believed that animals didn't feel pain at all. And isn't that crazy? In fact, you would still encounter veterinarians who don't believe in giving pain meds for surgery and other injuries in animals. Do you remember we kind of talked about that in the animal rights episodes? Oh, yeah. You know? That's nuts. It is nuts. Uh, this line of thinking is obviously known to be wrong now, and we have come a very long way in the last 20 to 30 years in giving better pain control to animals in our care. Google dog pain scale. You'll find a large variety of different pain charts for animals. Keep up the great work. We are eagerly, uh, eagerly awaiting a live show in St. Louis. And that is from Michael Richards. Thanks a lot, Michael Richards. We appreciate you writing it. We coming to St. Louis? Maybe. All right. It's on the table. Yeah, I think we got some, we're going to do some shows this year, folks. So look out. Yeah. In the future. Look out. Maybe we'll see you there. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet to us on SYSK Podcast and at Josh Um Clark. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant and uh, Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. 